Welcome to this audio recording by the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Jim Falk, President of the Council. We are a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization dedicated to promoting public awareness of global issues and the ways in which they affect the Dallas-Fort Worth region. Become a member today at dfwworld.org and help us connect North Texas with the world. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of Haynes & Boone, LLP. We hope you enjoy it. So it is my great delight to welcome Gerald McElvey, who is from Exxon, head of Exxon Foundation, Donnell Ocker from Whole Planet Foundation, also known as Whole Foods, and my longtime friend from being on the soccer bench together watching our sons many years ago, uh, David Gonzalez with PepsiCo Foundation. So I am now going to step down and ask you, Gerald, if you will. Thank you very much, uh, Lucy. Uh, I'm uh, not normally prone to give brief introductions of myself, so I think I'll, I'll skip that. Uh, I am uh, Gerald McElvey. I'm president of the ExxonMobil Foundation. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you today to talk a little bit about uh, some of our activities uh, outside the United States. But, but what I'll plan to do is to also mention a couple of our U.S. programs so you'll understand somewhat in contrast uh, uh, what is necessary in the communities outside the U.S. versus uh, our needs in our communities here in the United States. First, let me talk very quickly about corporate citizenship. And, and I think, as all of you know, ExxonMobil's primary role is to produce energy and to do it in an economically and environmentally and socially responsible way. Uh, we've been at the business for 125 years. We operate in some 150 countries around the world. And, uh, and throughout this period of time and in these geographies, uh, we've had a tradition of attempting to help communities, help improve the well-being of communities, to invest in people, because we believe that it's important to have a successful business, you need to have a successful society. Our operations around the, the world generate uh, good jobs. Uh, some would say great jobs, Forrest. Uh, my good friend is here. I also understand that David spent a few years working for ExxonMobil prior to uh, his current uh, activities. And uh, we today employ more than 80,000 people, uh, close to 200,000 contractors uh, come into contact with our business. Uh, I think we do provide competitive returns for our shareholders. And probably <clears throat> not mentioned to most of you is that uh, while many of you have heard the press reports on our $40.6 billion most ever earnings by a corporation, publicly traded corporation in the United States. A few of you have probably also heard that uh, uh, for every dollar of net income, we pay about $2.50 in taxes, totaling some $105 billion last year. And this is what helps power local economies around the world. We try to help uh, communities grow and prosper. Uh, last year, our employees along with the, the company contributions program that, that I assist in managing, contributed more than $210 million. And I'm also proud of the fact that more than 700,000 volunteer hours associated with company programs that we support, uh, not, the, not what an employee may volunteer on their own time, but things that we think are important from a company standpoint. So most of our community investment is tied to the communities where we operate, even a company the size and scale of ExxonMobil can't possibly work in every community around the world. But I'll tell you and I'll show you 
pictorially uh, about what's needed and you'll understand just how uh, much is required in some of the needy communities around the world. Now, the ExxonMobil Foundation, that's the primary philanthropic arm of, the, of ExxonMobil Corporation. We operate primarily in the United States, but we do have two programs that I'll talk about. Uh, one called the Africa Health Initiative and the other one, Educating Women and Girls in Developing Countries. In the U.S., uh, our main program is to support the improvement of math and science education. I won't go into all of the, uh, the details here, but it is, a, it is certainly a need here in the U.S. Uh, we have a three-to-one matching gift program, probably the most generous in the United States, provides uh, uh, more than $30 million every year to some 900 colleges and universities. And recently, we committed $125 million to a new entity called the National Math and Science Initiative, uh, who has two primary uh, initial purposes. One is to significantly increase the pool of highly effective math and science teachers, and then secondly, to introduce an incentive program to incentivize more young people, more kids in high school, to pursue advanced placement courses, the, the, the more rigorous advanced placement courses in math and science while in high school. When we get outside the United States, our programs uh, still relate much to education, but there's a stronger health focus. And we're also involved in providing business training, leadership training, microfinancing activities in parts of the world vocational skills training, uh, and other programs, as I mentioned earlier, to fight malaria and infectious disease, uh, some poverty alleviation programs, and overall to try to improve living conditions in other countries around the world. Now, I just returned from Africa. Many of you who may have traveled in Africa know that uh, there are, in fact, signs of economic and social progress uh, in many countries across the continent. Uh, much of it's related to natural resources development. The continent is an important supplier. I want to make this point because I want you to keep this in mind as I talk about some of our activities and as you think about why we do it. The continent is an important supplier of crude oil for world markets and is a principal supplier for the United States. In fact, about 25% of ExxonMobil's global oil production comes from the continent of Africa. We're a large private investor, more than $20 billion invested in Africa. And uh, we have more than 5,000 employees and contractors who call Africa home, and large numbers of us, such as myself, who travel there on either a regular or irregular basis. So about five years ago, the, the ExxonMobil Foundation decided to increase support of programs to reduce what we call known barriers to development. Uh, our social investments take their cues from the, the, the so-called Millennium Development Goals. And, and also from local community initiatives. Now, we think this is a win-win because it's a win for global progress and a win for the people in these local communities. So two programs, one focused primarily on malaria, and the second focused on educating women and girls. So how did we choose to, to select these two areas to focus on? I've already mentioned the, uh, the Millennium Development Goals, which is a United Nations program. Ratified in 2000, some 190 countries around the world signed on to this. And also in, in 2000, uh, uh, a majority of the African heads of states met in Abuja, Nigeria, and also committed to significantly reduce, in this case, malaria-related deaths during this decade. And we think this is really key to breaking the cycle of poverty and disease across the continent. As a company, as we look at the effects or even devastating impacts of malaria. We, 
we felt that we couldn't sit idly by and accept the loss of, of productivity. And I won't, I'll simply say that the symptoms of malaria are, are similar to a very severe case of the flu. If you know what you feel like, uh, and can you, if you can imagine having this disease or this condition perpetually, it is very difficult to work. You become a burden on your caregivers. And with so many people engaged in caring for or suffering from the disease, the overall productivity across the continent suffers. In fact, some economists believe that uh, uh, the debit on gross domestic product is, uh, is close to one and a half percentage points per year across the entire continent. We've invested uh, more than $40 million over the last seven years in programs to fight malaria. Uh, a lot of these projects are ones that we can draw on our own competencies as a business organization. And, uh, and for that reason, I heard Lucy say earlier that donors don't simply want to write checks or to give money. Uh, and we believe very strongly in the concept of, of the check. The financial resources are needed, but if you can also bring organization and business skills to bear, uh, your financial resources will have a much greater impact. And if there's one lesson I can leave with you today, it's to always think about uh, doing more than simply writing the check. It's important also to bring uh, your intellectual capital because that's what many of these communities need. In fact, in some cases, the intellectual capital is worth far more than the money that you might give to them. Now, let's talk about malaria very quickly. Um, you know, why did we pick malaria? Well, one, as we say, we have a number of people who live in these countries, and uh, our workforce suffered from malaria. Uh, seven or so years ago, we put in place what we call a comprehensive malaria workplace program. Uh, this program was so successful that uh, over the past three-year period, 2005, 6, and 7, uh, among all of our expatriate workforce, those living in Africa and those traveling to Africa, we've had one case of malaria in three years. And among our, our local workforce, the nationals of the countries where we operate, we've had no cases of malaria. So it would seem that we've learned much in this area, and it can be extended beyond our fence lines to larger communities and even countries, if at all possible. And so that's what we sought to do in, in working with a number of partners, including uh, the U.S. Agency for International Development, uh, the U.S. government, a number of pharmaceutical companies, medical researchers, and, and the international NGO community all are engaged in, in this effort. Let me talk quickly about some, some specific activities. Uh, we have two physicians, one of whom essentially spends all of his time, the other one a significant block of his time working on malaria. Uh, we work directly with the UN Foundation on a program that, Forrest, you heard about uh, just a few days ago to help raise awareness among American youth about the scourge of this disease and try to enlist their support in helping to supply one of the key interventions, a long-lasting insecticide-treated bed net. Ten dollars, send a net, can save a life. That's the program, and that's one that we, that's a message we would leave with you today. Uh, we also, and I'm going to start on some pictures here so you can get a kind of a pictorial view here. We assisted with the transfer of technology as part of a six-member consortium to launch Africa's first textile factory to produce long-lasting bed nets. Can, uh, can you see that? Are the lights uh, too high? Okay. And uh, you see a picture of the A to, a to Z factory, which is in Tanzania. We supported the President's Malaria Initiative, as I mentioned, the government of Angola through a number of initiatives, in this case showing the proper use of a bed net. 
and it's very important to not only either provide the money or provide the net, but you also must provide the education so that people understand the proper usage of either the commodities being nets or the medicines that may be provided. We funded proof of concept studies. How do you get medications or bed nets to the rural villages? And some of these countries are so-called post-conflict countries, uh, meaning that it's very dangerous in some cases to travel to parts of the country. So proof of concepts, such as in Kenya, where since much of the National Health Service has been effectively laid off because of a, a deficit, federal government deficit, and uh, an enterprising entrepreneur has hired many of the former nurses to become entrepreneurs. And so they take commodities that are donated in some cases, and or at least can be discounted, and these nurses actually travel into the countryside and treat people, distribute bed nets, distribute medications. Very effective, almost private health system in the country of Kenya, which as you know is undergoing significant um, strife these days. We also work with the Measles Partnership and the UN Foundation to show that distributing long-lasting bed nets can be married together with other programs. In this case, it was a measles initiative that um, has, been, has been able to reach more than uh, 10 million children in Africa in the last year alone. So working with local and international NGOs, we've, uh, we've also uh, helped to construct health posts. You see one here, the small building on the left with the red tin roof. Costs about 50,000, maybe even a little bit less US dollars uh, to build one. And uh, this is a tremendous addition and contribution to the people in this village who frankly have not had any access to any kind of medical care prior to, uh, to this facility being built. Uh, we also work with popular culture. Uh, American Idol has, has a campaign called Idol Gives Back. Uh, we uh, chose to work with them by matching $3 million that they raised to procure and distribute bed nets in Africa. So there are a number of ways to, to be engaged here, but I will, I'll, I'll leave you with the message that it's both your financial resources as well as a little bit of your intellectual capital that can make a great uh, Im impact in these countries. Educating women and girls, move on to the next one, because this is a program that I'm, I'm very, very uh, proud of here. After we saw the progress of our uh, malaria programs, we decided to look at the other Millennium Development Goals to see where else might we make an impact in these countries around the world. We looked at a number of areas, and we wanted to pick something that could have a considerable impact uh, at both the social level and at the individual level. And so about three years ago, we launched our Educating Women and Girls in Developing Countries initiative. As a global company, we see the unique challenges that so many women and girls face in developing countries. Policymakers, economists, uh, you know, the talking heads that show up on Sunday morning TV all seem to agree now that uh, investing in women and girls creates a virtuous circle. Stronger families, stronger communities, and stronger nations. We also see that when women and girls are educated, the children of educated mothers are more likely to survive, to go to school, and to live healthier and longer lives because of better nutrition and higher immunization rates. Educating women and girls lowers infant mortality rates, prevents diseases associated with poor sanitation, and helps contain the spread of HIV and AIDS. 
So in this program, we've worked to train women leaders to operate community-based NGOs. That's what you see right here at our Global Women in Management uh, course, which we've offered in Washington, Houston, and Mexico City. And we actually bring the women, some 120 women from 20 different countries so far, into these courses for a month-long, very intensive course, uh, and also to help them begin to develop the kind of networks, not only with each other, but with the donor community to try to understand how to get funding for some of the good projects that are underway. Um, oops, sorry. Let's move on here. Uh, another project here, let's see, are we, I'm sorry, I was going the wrong way. Here we go. Uh, this project that you see depicted here is in Kazakhstan, and uh, it is a, a, a partnership with USAID which provides entrepreneurial and business skills training and some microfinancing facilities to women in, in Kazakhstan. Uh, we have programs like this in 11 countries uh, around the world. And another project that I'm really proud of, and let's move on here, is the construction of primary schools in the Kwanzaa Sul province in Angola. Uh, this will increase basic edu educational access for girls and boys. We don't, we don't limit it to girls only. Uh, and it's interesting that to date about 70% of the children enrolling in these schools happen to be boys. Uh, yet it is a program for girls and over time is our expectation that we will increase the percentage of, of girls in these schools. Now much of the infrastructure in Angola uh, was destroyed dur during a 27 year civil war. By contrast, the American Civil War lasted four years. Um, and some 1,500 classrooms were destroyed. Uh, most of the people who taught were dispersed or became internally displaced people in these countries. Uh, today, only about 40% of girls in Angola are enrolled in school. Only about 30% of the women can even read and write. So our schools, what do they do? And this is in the, under construction. You see, you saw the, the blank or the empty field under construction. That's a completed school. Each one of these buildings uh, can be constructed for on the order of 50,000 U.S. dollars, not the multi-million dollar cost of schools that we see here in the United States. So just to, to quickly get through this, because I know I'm running out of time here, uh, note here these are girls who are attending the schools. Uh, the orange flashlight-looking object that you see is a solar-powered lantern. And uh, uh, this is the primary source of light for most of these families after dark. There is no power in these areas, uh, and uh, we found this unique innovation with a flashlight. The batteries will last from three to four years. Uh, each day, the flashlight is taken out and placed on top of the house to, to recharge through a solar panel, and at night it provides light for children. In fact, that's how it's used in, a, in an actual home in Angola. And I think that entire home probably had no more than about somewhere between 50 and 100 square feet of total living space. Here you see children with their lights. Uh, I was struck when I saw uh, these kids, I was actually there when the picture was taken, that it appears that the lights are in their original packaging, so you would say, Gerald, they're not using the lights. Uh, that's false, they're absolutely using the lights, and what we found out was that these children and their families meticulously take care of this $10 flashlight. Each time it's used, it's taken out of the original packing, it's used, it is then put, replaced in the original packing because they, they, they hold it in such high value and such high esteem. 
This is uh, the Talladanga School, uh, which is another school that we've constructed. There are approximately 500 young people attending school here. So let me, I think I'm out of time here. Uh, happy to talk more later with you on some of these programs, but it's, it's quite clear that um, we have needs in the U.S. We think our educational system, especially in math and science, needs improving. Outside the U.S., it's an entirely different issue, providing basic services, health, education, and uh, programs that can improve the welfare of communities, I think is, uh, is something that the ExxonMobil Foundation takes a great pride in participating in, and we would invite anyone who would choose to, to assist to join us. Thank you. Good afternoon. <laughs> Everybody awake? Delicious lunch. So I'm, hope, I'm hopeful that everybody will spend the next 10 minutes with me to talk a little bit about the work that we're doing at PepsiCo. First, uh, let me send my regards from Indra Nui, our chairman and chief executive officer uh, of PepsiCo. Um, I think, as you know, Indra has been on board now for about a year and a, a, year and a half and has really taken our worldwide organization to a completely different level. And uh, we thank her for that, because that is a lot about what I'm going to be speaking about today. And I'll be brief and, and to the point. Let me just begin by saying I want to thank you, Lucy, for the opportunity of uh, bringing us together. I think this is an incredibly important area. And I applaud the council for the focus uh, that it's placing on this. Um, as Lucy mentioned, we've known each other for quite some time, starting not only in the soccer field, but also I think you and I are the only ones with 5 million plus miles on that journey between Dallas and New York, because I live in Dallas, but I happen to work in New York. So uh, she and I uh, got reacquainted on a flight one time, and, uh, and the rest is history, so to speak. Uh, but also I'd be remiss, Jim, if I didn't thank you for providing us with the opportunity, PepsiCo in general, and certainly my illustrious colleagues here uh, from ExxonMobil, Gerald and Donnell, thank you very much. I used to work for Exxon. Thank you. That's a look back. And I want to thank you for the business, by the way, because we do do business with Whole Foods. And uh, we want to thank you for that business. So um, anyway, I've been given the task within 10 minutes, and that's a bit of a struggle for me, within 10 minutes to talk a bit about the work that we're doing. So let me just begin by taking you back 70 years, because I think that's an important time frame. And I'm re reminded of a great quote from a young lady who was blind and living in the Midwest at the time, and it's Helen Keller, who said, is there anything worse than being blind? And she said, yes, having sight but no vision. Having sight but no vision. Now, what I will tell you is that uh, PepsiCo, and I'm one of the vice presidents at PepsiCo and also a member of the foundation board, I've got to applaud us for having very, very clear vision. Because we believe that the ability of a corporation to compete in the future is going to be dependent upon three very specific things. One is having a key eye to the societal issues that are affecting us on a worldwide basis. Secondly, uh, having a keen eye and focus also on the economic opportunities that uh, will present themselves throughout the next 55 years. And lastly, also understanding the changing geopolitical environment that we're all having to compete in. And so as, as we took a step back at the foundation and said, what is this uh, challenge for the 21st century, we said, we've got to have an organizational call to action that really is going to mobilize this company that is a $34 billion corporation operating in over 200 countries with great brands like Frito, Pepsi, Tropicana, Quaker, you name it. 
How are we going to merge the business agenda with the issues that we see happening around the world? And our chairman put it very, very succinctly. Um, Ms. Newey said, you know what? We're going to have performance with purpose. Performance with purpose. And therein became the magical call to action for us, all 168,000 of us around the world that said, we're going to begin to merge our business agenda with our societal agenda and begin to not only perform well in the marketplace because Wall Street is demanding that of us, but also that everything that we do has a keen eye toward helping make this world a better place. And so I applaud us. And let me quote, profit is where a business responsibility begins but doesn't end, end renewing. So we're very committed to doing this at, at the PepsiCo Foundation. And in 10 minutes or less, what I've got the challenge of doing is trying to help you better understand exactly what our focuses are. And so I thought what I would do is talk a bit about our vision. And our vision really is encapsulated in three major areas. And I'll go through them briefly. The first one is that we talk about human sustainability around the world. And what does that mean? It means taking care of the people that live in this world and providing them not only with better education, but also with better lifestyles, and also making sure that the products we make and distribute around the world are helping people live better lives. So what does that mean? What it means is, through the PepsiCo Foundation, for example, we recognized early on, almost six years ago, that obesity around the world was a major, major issue confronting everybody. Whether it played out in terms of diabetes, whether it played out in people not able to go to work, um, also played out in the notion of was there clean water available around. So our focus uh, initially began around the issues of how can we create a platform for helping people around the world lead healthier lifestyles. And so the journey began with us. We decided early on that we would change our product portfolio in order to give people better choices as they tried to lead healthier lives. But more importantly, what we recognized in North America was that the obesity epidemic in urban communities, particularly the Latino and the African-American communities, was reaching epidemic proportions. And so we partnered with multi-million dollar grants with great organizations like the National Urban League, for example, like the National Council of La Raza, to do the first ever research for really understanding what is the issue, how do you begin to communicate the answer in a culturally and lingu linguistically relevant way? And then how do you activate the community to create behavioral change at the local level? Um, we're very, very interested in moving beyond the equation of creating awareness around educating, but more importantly, creating the behavioral change that will help people lead better lives. And so we created, through this research, an opportunity and the research was funded by the PepsiCo Foundation, we brought the great power of our brands, SmartSpot brands, which are our better-for-you products, and for the first time ever, based on that research, we put together a national community activation program in which we said that dance is an incredible way of getting people to become more active. And we took it on a 10-city tour around the nation, not only educating people on how to lead healthier lifestyles, but as importantly, engaging in the notion of dance. I got to tell you, Mario Lopez was great. We had LaShawn's from the Color Purple participate. And we went across the nation helping people better understand how do you lead healthier lifestyles. That, ladies and gentlemen, is performance with purpose in the area of how are you going to tackle the obesity epidemic. 
Let me move on to the environment, which is another great plank of ours, and we call it the environmental sustainability area. And one of the monikers that we have for 2008 at the PepsiCo Foundation is providing clean, safe water for everyone around the world. Not only aspirational, but we're making it a reality. And so we have invested, for example, in programs in China uh, called Mother Water Cellars, in which we are helping women in China understand how to implement technology that allows them to collect rainwater in their own villages. By the way, without having to walk many, many miles by themselves in the, remote, in the most remote parts of China to bring water that is clean and safe to their villages so that their families can be sustained. An incredible beginning. We are moving this around next to India and moving it throughout the world. So we're very excited about having done that. Uh, on the product side, for example, we have programs with Gatorade that is called Net Zero in which we will uh, be able to produce Gatorade with not using any additional water resources at all in order to help preserve the uh, water supply in, in our nation today. And lastly, uh, in partnership with Sam's Club, the Aquafina bottles that you've got at your table. Thank you very much, Jim. We love the fact that you had to buy our product. Um, we do recycle those. Uh, in partnership with SAMS, we actually convert those bottles into fleece jackets that we redistribute back into the community. What a great partnership for the environment, for SAMS clubs, one of our major customers, by the way, as well as for the community. So it's an incredible program. Let me just uh, quickly review the last plank that we have, and it's about talent sustainability because that's one that's absolutely near and dear to my heart because we are in the business around the world of discovering, retaining, and developing the best talent that we've got uh, throughout the world because we recognize that it is the capital for the future. And so for us, education is extraordinarily important. So how do we do it? It's all about the business case. We recognized early on that the dropout rates in the United States was at an all-time high. And so as we were looking for executive talent to bring into our organization, we recognized very, very quickly that the supply side was limited. The demand was there, but the supply side was limited. So we developed one of the nas a national dropout model that focuses in on how do we keep our kids in school. And we've done this in partnership uh, with several major organizations, but it's basically national high school intervention programs that keep kids in high school. We then couple that with a program that we call the Diamond Scholars Program that awards those kids that aren't the 4.0ers, uh, but those that need just a little bit of help to keep them in school, four-year scholarships to continue on to college, keeping them in school. All of our employees are involved in mentoring these kids through school, whether it's remotely or one-on-one, -on -one, and so we feel very good. Uh, I will tell you that uh, this has received national recognition as one of the workforce development programs by Congress. We're very excited about this program that we started about six years ago, again, all funded by the PepsiCo Foundation. So let me just close very quickly. Hopefully I've met the 10-minute mark here. We're all very driven for results, so I think, Jim, I've hit the 10-minute mark, all right? Uh, let me just close by saying that performance with purpose is really a focus on three fundamental planks, all supported by the PepsiCo Foundation, and that is we talk about human sustainability, we talk about environmental sustainability, and we talk about talent sustainability because we do know that we will do better by doing better 
and that clearly we have a vision for the future and we applaud the fact that you guys are coming together to talk about what the future is. So thank you again, Lucy, for the opportunity. Hi there. It's kind of tough to follow such illustrative panelists, but um, let me just start by saying I'm Donnell Oker. I'm the vice president for Whole Planet Foundation, which is a Whole Foods Market Foundation. And unlike my wise panelist, I will tell you a little bit about my background so you can know that I didn't just graduate from college. Um, <laughs> uh, I just moved to, to Austin after 10 years in Washington, D.C., where I was the senior director for the Critical Ecosystem Partnership Fund, a $150 million financing mechanism, giving out grants in 35 countries. Um, this partnership was an alliance of the World Bank, the Global Environment Facility, the MacArthur Foundation, and the government of Japan. And so it was kind of international development at the macro scale. <laughs> the organization was chaired by Jim Wolfenson, so he hosted us at his home in Jackson Hole and in Washington and whatnot. And after 10 years with this organization, I decided, well, like all good Texans, it's time to go home to Texas. And so when one looks at Texas, clearly you want to say, well, what's the best city in Texas? <laughs> and I'm sure you all think it's Dallas, but those of us that live in Austin would argue that it's Austin. And so I had the very good fortune to be hired by Whole Foods Market, who at the time, <laughs> Lucy's laughing, um, who at the time had recently started a foundation called the Whole Planet Foundation. You know, it's a little daunting to move to Texas, to Austin in particular, and, and have 18 years as an international development professional. There's not a lot of international development jobs in Austin, Texas. And so I feel ex you basically, if you work in tech, you're great. But if you work in international development, Austin is not the most ideal spot. So I felt very fortunate to land in Whole Foods, which is an extraordinary company. We have the distinction of being on, um, it's, let me make sure I say this right. <laughs> we have the distinction on being for, on Fortune 100's greatest companies for 10 years in a row. We're one of only 14 companies who's had that honor to be on that list for so many consecutive years. And I think, you know, when I first started at Whole Foods, I kept saying now, why is Whole Foods entering this global arena? I mean, it's really not our forte. And certainly compared to ExxonMobil and PepsiCo, we have a very small international footprint. We have stores in Canada, which operate under the Capers brand. We have stores in the UK, which operate under Fresh and Wild. And recently, we opened a flagship store in High Street Kensington that is actually operating under the Whole Foods brand. And so in terms of an international footprint, we have a very small market presence. However, as far as sourcing products, we source most of our products from the international world. And so when Whole Foods decided, we now have 270 stores, we had $6.6 .6 billion in sales in, in fiscal year 2007, and the philosophy was we really aren't touching the international community with our philanthropy. So it's kind of a missing link in the interdependent stakeholder model, and it's something that we feel like we should solve. And so basically, you know, as an entrepreneur, John Mackey, the founder of Whole Foods, really believes in and understands the power of entrepreneurship. In his 30 years of running and creating Whole Foods Market, he's seen it not just transform his life, but help transform the lives of the 54,000 people that work for him and really serve as a channel for economic and wealth creation. And so when John Mackey and the Whole Foods leadership decided to create 
an international philanthropic model, their favorite model was micro-lending. So many of you, I think, know about micro-lending. Um, with Mohammed Yunus winning the Nobel Peace Prize in 2006, the world spotlight has really been on micro-lending, which is fantastic. You know, micro-lending is the process of giving impoverished people, folks without the ability to read necessarily, people who would not have collateral to put down for loans, it gives them a chance to create a small business. So usually microloans are about $200 each, and with that money, it's hard to believe that they can create small businesses. Um, handicrafts, tortilla making, animal husbandry, small agricultural plots. It's hard for us to imagine that with that small sum of money, you can change the life of a person. I mean, for many of us, $150 is dinner out on a good night, and it's just, it's hard for us to imagine. And so, for just a moment, let me talk a little bit about Whole Foods' local giving programs. Whole Foods um, does not concentrate their giving in the foundation or in the corporate headquarters. All of the giving and the local philanthropic decisions are made at the store level. And so what that means is you have a remarkable ability to be responsive to a local community, but what it means, the disadvantage is that you don't have an aggregate sum of all the people and places you're supporting. But at the same time, it matches with our sort of empowered team member model. Um, some of you may know that Whole Foods calls their employees team members. And actually, there's a Whole Foods person in the room. Is Karen here? Hi, Karen. How are you? <laughs> Good to see you. Um, and so what that does is it creates a localized giving that's really special to local communities. And so Whole Planet was the first sort of centralized decision-making for giving globally. And so in less than two years, we've committed $6 million to micro-lending projects. And in that time, that funding has created 15,000 small businesses. So these tiny little economic engines we're certainly not the largest organization focused on micro-lending, but I think what we have that's unique to, say, Finca or Acción or some of the others is the presence that the Whole Foods Market stores gives us in the marketplace. So unlike those organizations, we have a direct relationship on a daily basis with consumers that love our store and love the mission of Whole Foods. And so... One of the things we were asked to explain is, what is the business rationale behind giving globally? And let me just quickly go through those. One is that it helps stabilize the small communities where we source products. In many agricultural villages where we work, it's transitory labor. People come and go. Many of the men have left the village to go work in surrounding countries or to come to the United States. And so what that does is it leaves behind women who are holding together families, they're taking care of children, they're taking care of older relatives, and they can't necessarily leave the home to go work in the formal economy. Micro-lending is a fantastic way for them to have a little stream of revenue and prosperity while they're still taking care of their children and their parents. So for us, as a company that's sourcing agricultural pro projects, products, it helps us to stabilize the communities where we're trading and doing global business. The other thing is that if you think about the demographic of people that work for Whole Foods, one of our strengths as a company is that we retain 
and we support 54,000 team members, many of whom are top-notch, the best in their category, the best that one could find, and we have very low retention relative to other grocery stores. And part of that is because Whole Foods' interdependent stakeholder model believes that the bottom line is not the only priority. I think most companies these days think that way, but Whole Foods was really a pioneer in this kind of thinking. Whole Planet Foundation has offered our team members a chance to engage globally. We don't just tell them about the foundation. We've given them a chance to participate in a global volunteer program where Whole Foods team members can go live and work in the countries where we're supporting micro-lending projects for a whole month. So in that month, they do a community project. Um, in Guatemala, they're doing a education nutrition program in Lake Atitlan region. And then in Costa Rica, the team members are doing a sea turtle conservation project. And so imagine that you're the stock boy or the produce specialist. And to go and live and work in the third world is it's an extraordinary uh, benefit. It's a motivating um, experience. And they bring that back, and they share it with the rest of their stores. And so it sort of has a multiplier effect in maintaining morale and enthusiasm. The other reason is because entrepreneurship is empowering. As I mentioned, John Mackey and most of our leadership really believes in the strength of entrepreneurship to create economic you know, power and might and to create um, independent wealth, not just for yourselves, but obviously for your families and for all the people that work for your business. Clearly, it's probably not likely that we have a John Mackey amongst our 15,000 small businesses, but one never knows. You just never know. And so we're inspired by that. The other thing is that the Whole Planet Foundation strengthens our relationship with our interdependent stakeholder model. For instance, it gives us a mission that our customers can embrace. We invite our customers to participate in the micro-lending programs. They can do that by learning. They can do it by giving. Someday, we hope to take them to the field with us on the volunteer program. We've also invited vendor partners, such as PepsiCo. We're delighted that PepsiCo has joined us in an alliance to support micro-lending through Naked Juice and Stacy's Pita Chips, both brands that they sell in Whole Foods Market. We also have Seventh Generation and several other vendors that, unlike Pepsi, probably don't have an international philanthropic focus. These are small companies. They've joined us to leverage their philanthropic resources and really make a difference internationally. The other thing is that being involved in this kind of mission strengthens the entire customer, team member relationship. It gives us something bigger than a grocery store to do and to think about and to be supportive of. And so for us, this is some of the rationale why Whole Foods would enter into a global arena. Um, I'm honored to meet you guys. I'm honored to learn about ExxonMobil Foundation and PepsiCo Foundation. Um, we'd be delighted if you'd like to join our, our mission. You can learn about it on our website um, or in our stores. And thank you for the opportunity to talk to you today. We have just a few minutes for questions. So if there are any hands. Yes, sir. Find any opposition on part of the government to implement the program which you have. Do you have to require a permit to do so? 
and what are the obstacles, if any, you encounter in your efforts? Can you hear me? Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, generally, uh, all of our projects are reviewed with government before we implement. Uh, we typically enlist the governments in these countries as partners. We're partners with them in the uh, commercial activity to produce energy. Uh, and so moving beyond that to partner in delivering social projects and community investment projects is, is really just a natural extension of that uh, arrangement. Um, where you end up having the, the most difficult is because in many countries, let's take Angola for example, so much of the infrastructure has been destroyed. And so when you, when you seek to implement a project, you literally need to bring your own infrastructure. You need to bring people who have the talents, those schools. We couldn't construct the schools without, uh, in this case, Save the Children as our primary international NGO. And Save the Children has among its competencies, they hire civil engineers who can design and lead the construction of the facilities. So uh, these, are, these are true partnerships. Quite a lot of work is done in advance of really spending a lot of money. Uh, we engage with the local communities. They have uh, the local chieftains are called Sobas in, in Angola. We, we meet the Sobas. We, uh, we work with um, uh, local governing authorities, whether it's at the province level or at the municipality level. And there's an integrated process for that we, that we work our way through and then we get to constructing the schools. And by the time, because again, the big problem in much of the developing world is you can come in and you can deliver a school and there may not be anyone to run it, there may not be any teachers, the children may not come if you've not done uh, quite extensive work in advance. And so we make sure that we, we try to do that in advance. Let me take the question, uh, because we also were able to see that you have your brand highly visible in the slides that you shared with us. What about Whole Planet and PepsiCo? As you march across the world, is your brand visible as well? You know, Whole Foods doesn't have brand recognition, a very large brand recognition outside of the U.S., but for us, that's not our primary motivation, and in fact, we usually don't have a Whole Foods logo or a Whole Planet logo on our sort of project vehicles or infrastructure. Uh, anything that we do philanthropically through our foundation is unbranded. Um, so consequently, we're not at liberty to tie it to the brands. However, what I will tell you is that the brands are becoming more and more excited about doing uh, philanthropic initiatives like we did with Sunchips and the uh, Susan B. Komen Foundation here recently. So that is a different strategy above and beyond the foundation itself. Well, I just want um, the United States to be able to get credit for your good work, so I'm, we're just trying to ride your skirts, <laughs> uh, or shirt tails, Thank whatever. Uh, other questions? We actually um, I acted like other questions, but we really don't have time for others. I was just trying to be generous for one millisecond <laughs> um, as we have um, zipped through our time frame already. Thank you all for being with us here. and. Um, of course, uh, thank you all, not for just your time here today, which was deeply appreciated, but for your leadership at a time when you permit America to be seen as we desire to be seen, and you reflect the lives and the actions that our souls carry 
So now may we, on our own ways, try to lead and follow by your example. So thank you all for being the great American citizens that we want the world to see. For more information about the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth, visit them on the web at www.dfwworld.org.